Welcome to the In the Scriptures podcast. The following Bible lesson was previously recorded. Hello everyone, welcome to our Bible study. I'm Lance Taylor and going to be taking you into Genesis chapter 3 in this Bible lesson. We have uh, just recently uh, gone from the very beginning, starting in Genesis chapter 1. We covered Genesis 1 and also Genesis 2, looking at the creation account and then in chapter 2 uh, some more details about the sixth day of creation in particular with God creating man and woman. But in this lesson, we're going to talk about a chapter that must be understood uh, really by everyone. If we're going to understand who we are, why we're here, uh, what we're supposed to do, and be able to understand anything about what's going on in the, the world around us and why it's the way it is, then Genesis chapter 3 is something we must come to know and understand. As a matter of fact, Genesis chapter 3 answers so many of the very basic and fundamental questions that we as human beings will wrestle with. When we think about our world today, it's very clear that there's a great deal of struggle, a great deal of suffering, a great deal of destruction and division that is evidenced in so many ways in mankind. We see it in every country, we see it in every group of people, uh, and we can see it for all of the history of man, not just in our current generation, but in generations prior to us. And it just really begs the question, why? Why is mankind so broken? Why? Do we have such suffering, struggles, difficulties, challenges? As a matter of fact, this is a great trouble for those who would believe in some kind of an evolutionary theory because the evolutionary theory would seem to support that man is developing and getting better and better and better as time goes on, as he evolves further and further and further. And in actuality, when you examine mankind, that is just so far from the true reality. Mankind has not developed to get better and better and better. You can see that man today, spiritually, morally, uh, just in general existence, is no better than mankind was many, many years ago. Technology and developments and our innovations and ways that we use the raw materials and things that we have on this earth, they have developed. But in those cases, all it's done as far as our goodness and our just ability to be at peace with one another and uh, at a high level of existence, our technology has not enhanced that. If anything, it's exacerbated the problems, exacerbated the problems that we have in suffering in division, in a lack of morality, etc., etc., etc. So with all of that kind of as a preface to what we're going to talk about here in Genesis 3, it is just so, again, important that each of us understand 
what Genesis 3 is telling us about our history as the human race and what it says about the world in which we live. Because the answer to so many of our questions is right here in this text. Well, let's read Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read it uninterrupted. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 24, through the end of the chapter. Uh, it's not a, a long reading, really and truly. There's a lot here, but I'm going to read it, and then we're going to dive right into talking about what the Bible says uh, is happening here and how this is something that impacts every one of us, and we need to understand it today. Genesis 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife the Lord God made tunics of skin 
and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. A couple of things to say about this as I've completed reading the text. There are uh, those that would try to look at the Genesis account, not just Genesis 3, but all of Genesis, and try to uh, turn it into some mystical rendition of things that happened in creation, if they even happened at all. And I would submit to you that that idea is false. If we're believers in the Bible, then we should be believing every verse of the Bible. And this chapter, although no doubt we're not given every single little detail about this story, the account here is told to us by Moses the author in such a way as to be the historical account, the actual account of what actually happened with the first man and the first woman in the Garden of Eden. And from this first man and first woman coming all of mankind, the results are very clear. And the results of what happened here in Genesis chapter 3 have had an effect, an impact on all of mankind. And those things are undeniable not only as you go through the Bible account in the rest of Genesis all the way through Revelation, but they are evident in looking at the historical account of mankind throughout all of history. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But I just want to establish that when we're looking at the Bible, we, we either believe it or we don't. If you don't believe the words of the Bible, then you know, really need to check yourself as to why you're even opening the Bible to study at all. But if we believe the words of the Bible, then believing one verse demands that we believe ultimately all of it and that we bring it together in its context properly, rightly dividing the word of truth, as Paul told Timothy. We need to be rightly dividing God's word and understanding it and applying it appropriately. And there's much to be applied here in Genesis chapter 3. First of all, notice that Adam and Eve here, the man and the woman, are in the Garden of Eden where God had placed them in chapter 2. And they have been told that they can eat of everything in the garden except for this tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God has told them that in the day that they eat of it, they will surely die. But the serpent comes and tempts Eve. The first temptation that we know of here uh, is brought before the woman. And the serpent challenges the woman uh, in regard to the things that God has said. He says to her in verse 1, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? The woman very quickly, it seems, and very directly answers appropriately in verse 2 when she says, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. In verse 3, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So she knew. She knew that this was not to be done and relayed that appropriately, correctly, to the serpent. The serpent then tells the woman in verse 4, you will not surely die. 
you know, after all, how would how would the woman at this point in time even know what death is? You know, that's not even something that <clears throat> is on the radar that would be understood at all because there was no such decay, destruction, death, <clears throat> demise, nothing was there that would be that type of thing for the woman to know. The serpent here in this case, as we continue on, we understand that this is the devil. And this is not just any other creature, if you will. This is the devil at work going up against mankind. And so he also further tempts the woman in verse 5 when he tells her that God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so this has then the mind of the woman hard at work, and she's thinking that it is good for food, in verse 6, it's pleasant to the eyes, and it's desirable to make her wise. And so she takes of it and she eats, and then she also gives to her husband, and he eats. And then things begin to change. And this is where I, I mentioned earlier that to understand Genesis 3 is so important for everyone because so many of our questions about this world and this life are answered right here in Genesis 3. And that begins right here in verse 7 when it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Remember just previously in chapter 2, in verse 25, the very last verse of chapter 2, we're told that they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. At that time, that seemed like kind of an odd statement. But now that we get to what we're seeing here in chapter 3, we understand that statement. There was complete innocence before this point in chapter 3. There was no reason to be ashamed. There was no immorality. There was no wicked thoughts. There was no, no evil. But now, in verse 7, the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew they were naked. And they did something about it. That, that knowledge created a shame and a guilt to the point that they responded, that they did something. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And not only did it do that, but as they hear the Lord God coming in the garden in verse 8, they hide. They hide. You know, some of the responses here of, of Adam and Eve, the man and the woman, to their original sin here are the same responses that you and I have today. Our shame and our guilt will cause us to try to cover ourselves, cover things up, hide things, deceive away from something. And if we're approached about something, we would prefer to avoid that approach, to hide from it, to seclude ourselves. And so they hide from God in verse 8. And God calls out to Adam and He says, Where are you? In verse 9. Where are you? And so Adam answers and says, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. That's another common response, right? When we know that we have done something wrong, when we know that we've made a mistake, a common feeling among all of us in mankind, in our humanity, is fear to be afraid. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So God asked him in verse 11, Who told you that you were naked? God knows all of this, being all-knowing, but here's this conversation with Adam. 
Who told you or not? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded that you should not eat? And now here's another common response. Adam is going to blame someone else. Verse 12, the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. It's interesting because in essence, Adam is not only blaming Eve, the woman, but he's blaming God because God gave the woman to him. So he's passing the blame off to someone else. You and I have the temptation to do that as well, don't we, in this life? As well as all of mankind. It's part of our fallen humanity. Verse 13, the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. She also cast off the blame and blames the serpent who deceived her. And so she ate. And so it begins. Mankind is now disintegrating from this state at which he was a part of all that was good that God had made. Remember what God said about that? When you go back to Genesis 1 in the creation account, and over and over and over we read that God saw that it was good. And in verse 31, God saw everything that He had made, and indeed it was very good. That was the, the message there, that it was all very good. Very good. So what happened? Well, man and woman made a mistake. The word sin is not here in chapter 3. But this was the first committing of sin. To err. To trespass against God's instruction. And the results of that bring about the curses that follow in the next verses 14 through 19. God speaks to the serpent first and He pronounces this curse. He says, Because you have done this, in verse 14, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Here's this curse on the serpent that that the serpent will be lower than all other creatures in creation in that sense. But the spiritual curse, if you will, is in verse 15. When God further says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He, the seed of the woman, shall bruise your head, the serpent's head, and you, the serpent, shall bruise his, the seed of woman's, heel. This verse in and of itself deserves a lot of time. Since we're doing this as a textual study going through each of these chapters, I'm not going to belabor the point, but this verse is so important. Genesis 3.15. This is really the Old Testament gospel. This is the introduction, the first prophecy of the coming of a Savior. The prophecy of the need for the Savior. The need for man to be redeemed. For this struggle, this battle to go on between uh, the sons of disobedience, the sons of the devil, and between the seed of woman, between those of mankind. 
that will battle with good and evil all the days of their lives. And ultimately, the battle will be with the Lord, with the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, who will come born of a woman to crush the head of Satan. It's really a fantastic verse, and there, again, so much can be said about it, but it's really important because that right there lays the groundwork for God's plan to redeem man. That it will be through the seed of woman that God will crush sin and evil and death that is shown here in the form of the serpent. So then the curses go on. It goes also to the woman in verse 16 when he says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. So the, the pain and the struggle with bearing children is going to increase for the woman. And he says... Uh, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. This subjection to her husband is amplified as a result of what has happened here in Genesis 3. And then the curse to the man, to Adam. Verse 17, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground. For your sake, You know, no longer would Adam just be able to pluck the wonderful fruits from the Garden of Eden. Now he's going to have to work the ground, grow the crop in order to eat of it. And so he says, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And now the ground is cursed with thorns and thistles. Verse 18. And in order to eat of the herb of the field, he'll have to wrestle with the thorns and the thistles. He says in 19... In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Ultimately, the, pronounce, the curse is pronounced of death for mankind. To dust you shall return. Well, there's a lot to digest here, but I want to divert us away from Genesis 3 for just a moment because... There's a commentary on Genesis 3 in the New Testament that we need to see as we're looking at this at the same time. So hold your place in Genesis 3 and come with me to the New Testament, to the book of Romans, to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, the entire chapter, is excellent to study when we're thinking about our salvation from sin. In verse 1, we read, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It just lays it right out there, Paul does, that we have uh, this victory, this access, this peace with God because of Jesus Christ. Going back to Genesis 3, this started our days of mankind being at odds with God, not being at peace with God because of sin, because of our fall. In verse 6, it fur it's further explained, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
You see, when Adam and Eve, when the first man and woman sinned in the Garden of Eden, the result is that all of mankind would struggle with sin and ultimately be guilty of sin and need redemption from sin. In verse 12, this is further explained, and this really gets to the commentary on what we're reading in Genesis 3. Romans 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, that being Adam, the first man, and death through sin, that was the curse pronounced on Adam, that to dust you shall return, and thus death spread to all men, so Adam wasn't the only man that would die, but his wife and his children and all of mankind that would come from his loins would face death. Death spread to all men because all sinned. That's the other thing. Now all of mankind will have that in common. From Adam forward, everyone, everyone will be sinners unable to live perfectly, unable to live up to God's standard, unable to overcome evil alone. And so we read further down in verse 18, Therefore, as through one man's offense, one man's sin, judgment came to all men, that being the first man Adam, resulting in condemnation, even so... Through one man's righteous act, talking about Jesus, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. He goes on and says, For as by one man's disobedience, that was Adam, Adam and Eve disobeyed, as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's, it's a capital man, if you're looking at your text, talking about Jesus, the son of man, the son of woman, the seed of woman, by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. In verse 21, we read that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus gives us the victory over this problem of sin. And we read further in chapter 6, he raises the question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, since Jesus has done this, does it, does it even matter what we do going forward? And he says, certainly not. We shouldn't continue in sin. He says, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And he raises a great question, verse 3, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Verse 4, Therefore we were buried with Him, with Jesus, through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And he goes on and further explains that, but the idea is that we, in our response, our faith and our belief, our confession of Jesus Christ as Lord, and our willingness to be buried with Him in baptism, we rise to walk a new life with our sins forgiven. And we shouldn't be continuing in sin. We should be choosing to live a righteous life from that point forward. 
Again, so much could be said about all of this, but let me, let me just sum some things up by going back to Genesis 3 and reminding us of what's happened here. So Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden and everything was very good. There's no death. There's no pain. There's no sorrow. There's no suffering. There's no division. There's no wickedness. There's no evil thoughts. There's no immorality. Nothing is there that would be bad, wrong, evil, that would be any less than being very good, as it said. And yet, when man and woman ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and went against God's direct command not to do so, mankind fell and all of creation fell. And the result of all of that changed everything. You notice in Genesis 3, it's not just that Adam and Eve would one day die. No, it's that Adam and Eve are going to have sufferings and strugglings all the days of their life. Well, look around, if you have it, and ask yourself the question, does mankind today deal with struggling and suffering constantly? And the answer is yes. This answers why that's the case. This began, this course of action began because of the domino effect from Adam and Eve on down. And even if you look at the world around us, you know, the, the laws of thermodynamics talk about the idea that, that matter is tending to break down. And we read in the New Testament that the whole creation is groaning, crying out. Well, it all began here because God's creation that was all very good, now the ground is cursed. The thorns and the thistles are there. Man is blocked out of the Garden of Eden that was perfect. And so everything is less than perfect. It changes everything. You know, in order for us to appreciate the solution to a problem, we really need to know what the problem is. And for mankind... Our problem is found and seen right here in Genesis 3. When we disobey God, and when the first man and the first woman, for the first time, disobeyed God, the consequences fell to all of us. And so long as we live upon this earth, we will deal with sin. We will deal with the battle between good and evil. And it explains so much. Why do nations rise and fall? Why do cultures rise and fall? Ultimately, it's because mankind is flawed because of evil and choosing to sin. In order for us to appreciate God's salvation, we also need to understand our own destruction. We need to understand our own state of being lost. 
our state of corruption. And here in Genesis 3 we see that. Man and woman were separated from the presence of God. Man and woman no longer would live forever. They needed access back to that ability. And it could only be granted by God. And so you and I need to level with ourselves and understand our own corruption that it began here. And then we need to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God on high. He is our Lord and Savior. He crushed the head of Satan. He was willing to be bruised for our transgressions. And this world is not our home. Our home is with God. But we can't get there while also practicing evil. It separates us from God. So we need to die to sin. We need to commit ourselves to practice the righteousness that comes from God alone. We need to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. We need to love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to be thankful and grateful for all that has been done for us because we are unworthy and deserving of death and punishment. But thanks be to God, as we're reading the Corinthian letter, because God has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Genesis 3, you need to understand it because it really tells so much about who we are and why we are the way we are, why this whole world is the way that it is. And most importantly, it should draw us closer to God, a desire to get ourselves back into a good relationship with God without fear and without shame but with full faith and assurance I hope that you will think seriously about your own life in view of these verses that we've studied tonight and I really want to ask you to also think about reading further and more in Romans 5 and 6. Because you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. He's the answer to all of this. And so you need to confess that He is Lord and Savior. You need to repent of your sins. You need to stop sinning. Change your ways. You need to be buried with Jesus in baptism to wash away your sins. And then commit yourself to living a faithful and righteous life to the very best of your ability. We're all going to stumble and make mistakes. 
but we all also know that we've got the choice. Just like Adam and Eve did here, they had the choice between good and evil. As soon as they ate of that tree, their eyes were opened and they had choices. Hey, guess what? We know it. We, we level with ourselves. We know we have choices every day. Choose good. Ultimately, choose God. Choose to be on His side. Do things His way. Give our lives and our obedience to Him. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we humbly bow before you, thankful that we can open your word and learn so much. We're thankful for this account in Genesis chapter 3 that shows us what happened with man and woman, why our world is the way that it is. But also it shows us that you had a plan to save us, to redeem us, to give us a renewed hope of living eternally with you. Help us see that Jesus is that answer. Help us believe fully in Him, trust in Him, and give all obedience to Him. Father, we beg for your forgiveness of our sins. We know that we do make mistakes, make wrong choices. We beg for your mercy and your forgiveness. We also beg for your strength and encouragement that we might choose to do better every day. Help us recognize we have choices and we need to choose the good. Father, we beg for your mercy and your healing and your comfort for all of those that are suffering, that are sick, under ailments that this life brings. We pray for the leaders of our land and other lands that peace may reign. We pray for leaders in your church, the elders, that they may shepherd the flock that they are overseers of in a way that's pleasing to you, looking to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. We pray that your name may be glorified in what we do. We pray that the borders of your kingdom may spread. And we humbly ask all of it in Jesus' name. Amen.